podcast. We're doing Obscure Stuff. Awesome. We're doing the gate. There is a passageway to the most evil place you can imagine. A gate behind which the demons wait to take back what was once theirs. And now, someone has opened the gate. There's this weird tearing sound from there. The decomposed corpse of her dead father. Oh, no. He's tearing out air by the hands. I'm calling the police. You got demons. You mean you guys are serious about that demon stuff? Demons? What kind? You. cool guest again, Tom Sullivan. Hi, everybody. And General Lots and Wolfman. Hey, how's it going? Good day. The Gate. I like the rabbit hole plot line. Really clever idea. And, uh, you know, the commentary they make is really clear. But it's, you know, mom and dad are going to be gone for uh, the weekend. And they leave uh, what they think are grown up. Their kids, you know, are adult enough to survive. And, of course, they do everything you're not supposed to do while the parents are away. You know, have a party, summon demons, that kind of thing. <laughs> Race them and, out, uh, yeah. Yeah, right. And, uh, <laughs> of course, it all goes as bad as it could. As it could. And uh, But it, it it's uh, the, the story is really clever and audacious. And uh, for, you know, relatively low-budget film, it's got a lot of very clever special effects and uh uh, really lively little demons in this thing. The little minions are are awesome, and uh, and so clever. And they they use the uh, uh, the great old technique of forced perspective, where you have miniatures in the foreground, and uh, or, or excuse me, uh, you know, live at, something in the foreground like a, a person, and it can be interacting with a leprechaun or something like they did in uh, Darby O'Gill and the Little People. Uh, and make it appear as though um, that they're both on the same plane and they're uh, creatures of different sizes. And uh, this is done by Randall William Cook, uh, who supervised that stuff, and later went on to do the same thing for the variety of uh, sized characters in uh, the Lord of the Rings and Hobbit films for Peter Jackson. And um, uh, so it's really clever stuff it's a great technique i wish it was used more because uh, you know we all like practical effects and this is a really mind-blowing kind of one and mm-hmm. uh, uh, uh done correctly you know and and with some clever tricks like you know having 
large-scale props, uh, uh, segments of whatever is in the miniature in the foreground, have that in the background so the human characters can react to it, uh, you know, or touch it or something, and then that helps sell the illusion. Uh, mm-hmm. And you cut down the cost because most of what you're seeing is a miniature, right. that mm-hmm. kind of thing. And uh, but you'd need lots of light and uh, the proper lenses and and all that to get the whole thing in uh, in focus. And because uh, things not in focus kind of give away that they're miniatures. Mm-hmm. But uh, this film, I think, is is really clever. And, and also the kid actors are are all great in it. Even the party kids are are fun enough and. Uh, Craig Reardon's makeup is is terrific in it, and uh, uh, just the effects and all are, are, are a lot of fun. Some of them a little more obvious than others, but it's got some st- great stop motion or go motion in it uh, with uh, super, you know superimposed blurs and things like that, and uh, cool creature designs and uh, uh, all in all, fun story goes well with popcorn. So you'd you know definitely recommend it. <laughs> Oh, definitely, sure. Right. One and two. I think I'd have to echo pretty much what you just said. Um, another cool thing I think about it is the fact that it's PG-13. Uh, I think it really pushes the envelope, uh, especially, you know, back when it came out. Man, I, I, I didn't see this as a kid, and I'm glad I, I'm glad I didn't, because I think it would have been pure nightmare fuel. Um, there's definitely a few scenes that... I think are you know perfectly done. Uh, so yeah, what do you think? Uh, lots. It reminded me. It's one of those films that reminded me of a variety of different films. Uh, this seemed a bit sort of like a hardcore weird science in a way, but <laughs> it also reminded me of Warhammer 40k. It's like they're summoning the chaos. It's like summoning chaos in their backyard. It's a film I didn't expect to like. To be perfectly honest, it seemed like a stupid idea, but. I kind of got I got into it. Uh, the kid actors, uh, they kind of grew on me as time went on. And just overall, it was it was interesting. Uh, forced perspective can work, uh, although just recently rewatching Batman '89, forced perspective can look like crap as well. Uh, but it's aged remarkably well here. The story is sort of like typical '80s fare. I have to admit. But it works. There's a real Spielberg feel to this, you know, it's just kind of the the tone, and you know, it's a ET meets Poltergeist kind of thing. Mm-hmm. ET meets 40K. Um, just overall, it's a movie that you got to give it a chance because at first glance it looks like it's going to be crap, but it really does grow on you. It's another one of those 80s movies that also reminded me of a ra- another random 80s movie called Invaders from Mars. Sort of like oh, the, yeah. the, the the kids have to somehow survive against impossible odds, and it's one of those things where it's a lot better than it looks at first glance. I concur. Well, Wolfman, I want to say that I was really agitated that I had never heard of this movie until it was you know brought up on the you know the chopping block to talk about because I really enjoyed it a lot. Um, two movies that you brought up. This reminded me of a blend of three movies, and you guys nailed two of them. Poltergeist meets Weird Science, and to be honest with you, Evil Dead, when they were cracking open the geode and they started reading the incantations. You know, I, that, that's the vibe that I got out of that. And It's like Evil Dead if the Necronomicon was a heavy metal album. 
In a sense, yeah, but I mean, that's the vibe that I got. It, it was a mixture of those three movies, and it was really well done. And, you know, come to find out, you know, the special effects, you know, they were done by um, Randall Cook, who went on to do Lord of the Rings, got a couple Oscars for those, no surprise there. Mm-hmm. And funny enough, the, the actors in the movie, you know, you got Dorif, who was in Blade, and then he went on to show um, uh, vape products. And then we Even have Kelly Rowan, who I remember her from a really good movie that not a lot of people have heard of called 187. She played the school teacher, and it was that's another movie that I'd recommend checking out. But no, all in all, this is a great movie. It's aged well. It's paced great. The special effects, which, you know, I'm the effects lover. They're great. I love the part with, um, you know, the eyeball in the hand. And it's just, it, it worked really well. You know, Another thing comes too. to mind, too, is Gremlins, actually. Oh, yeah, yeah. Well, um, this did definitely fit in with all the themes. I mean, it's uh, clearly some, you know, let's tap into that market, which is a... Uh, but they they made something worthy with it, which is really nice. Mm-hmm. Well, the best part about it was is um, uh, Rage brought up earlier about it being PG thirteen, and yeah, I mean for older listeners, you know, you, you you'd know this. A PG thirteen was a very very liberal, um, uh, you know, rating. You only had four. You had G, you had PG, then you had PG thirteen, and then you had R. And if it was X, you know, obviously we couldn't really talk about those. But, I mean, PG-13 was about as close as you could get to an R rating. And nowadays, you know, it's like rated PG for comic mischief and rude humor. It's not really, you know, but this really pushed the boundaries. But having it at PG-13 is great because that way you could, you know, expand your audience and get people to go in and see it. Because if you wanted to see Friday the 13th, and you didn't have, you know, a parent with you that wasn't a fan of the movies. You weren't going to go see it. Yeah, in the protagonist, uh, uh, Louis Tripp and uh, Dean and uh, Glenn and Terry, that is, uh, mm-hmm. are aren't even technically teenagers in this film. True, true. Yeah. Well, let's uh, let's get into spoilers. Starts out with Glenn having a nightmare oh. and a nursing choice, and then he wake and then he, uh, you know, he goes to his house. His parents are at home. And then he ends up going in the the tree house, and then it gets hit by lightning and, and then by then he is falling over he wakes up and it turns out they're chopping it down because it did fall down and that's where you find that hole in the ground and that's when they find the geos and you know slowly surely things are getting weird but uh, also being and that's when the parents are leaving he's home alone you know um <laughs> uh, Oh, Tom, do you want to continue the, the plot synopsis? What I like is is how they they carefully set up all these rules with the, when they find the book and um, uh, and are able to interpret it, which is really interesting for you know twelve year old kids to right. yeah, cause try ter- to figure this like out a... and have any context of what the hell is going on. Yeah, Terry's and, like a metalhead, and he happens to have this like album of this, this band who's like dealt with demons before. Which I yeah, found rather course. hilarious, to be honest. I'm the guy who made the Evil Dead book. You know, <laughs> I'm not really going to complain about that overused cliche. <laughs> but, uh, uh, yeah, it's, but you know, it, uh, where do kids in suburbia wind up with these crazy tomes? It's just uh, one of the inexplicable things. <laughs> Days before half-price books. 
Well, there's definitely like subtle dark humor with this. Like, like I think it's clever the fact that you play the record backwards, and you know usually it's like you hear demonic things, but in this case, it's how to get rid of the demons. Mm-hmm. Wolfman, you can take over the plot synopsis. All right, so we're at the party now. We're basically, you know, um, I'm trying to think. All right, now Tom's at the party. Where did you leave off? You left at the part where they, where the tree the was getting cut down. So we'll yeah. just we'll, we'll go to a, a medium ground from my recollection. Um, I remember they had the party, and then they did the levitation game, and then Which, they actually that was managed a weird to... scene in the movie. It's like the teenagers, like, oh man, it's just an illusion. Yeah, take over. Well, here I go. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> but um, at, pretty much near the end of the party is when Glenn actually got levitated, and I thought it was a really cool um, thing. It was it was really one of the more believable film levitations that I've seen on par with, I want to say, Ghostbusters and The Exorcist, where they actually managed to lift it and it looked cool. This one actually did it really well. And after the party was all done, that's when... Um, you know, Glenn starts noticing things are going a bit awry, and Terry starts to, um, uh, he sees visions of his dead mother, and it turns out to be Glenn's dog. Right. <laughs> Which was, um, that, that, that was an interesting scene. It kind of freaked me out a little bit. And then after that, that's when Terry brings over the music to, um, uh, I think it was based on the dark book, and he believes that the hole in the backyard is supposed to be the gateway to hell. And they figured that this is how they opened it up. I think there was something earlier where someone got scratched and some blood fell on it, and that's what woke it up. Uh, not too sure about that. It was something that was just lightly touched upon, but I don't think they ever really went into detail too much about it. But that's just neither here nor there. Um, that's when they started to, you know, put together the idea that they're missing something, and they wind up sacrificing. Um, uh, the dog's body into the hole, and that's what made everything go, you, you know, from zero to, you know, not 11, I want to say maybe a, a 15, because <laughs> it, it's just, as, as the movie goes by, it, it's it's like Tom said earlier, the, the, the coolest thing about this movie is, it's just, it's a bunch of kids that are in over their head, and things just get worse and worse, and no matter what they try, they just screw it up, and it just compounds, and then it adds up. You know, we, we've got uh, the moths going through the bedroom window, and then Terry found the the, the dog's body under his bed. Um, the hands the under arms, the bed. Oh, God. Th- those arms were great when they tried to pull, um, what was his name, Al? Yeah. Yeah. And right. they, the, um, the, that, that was great. The, the, this is when the effects start shining through. And it's stuff like this that, you know, like I said, it started to make me think of Evil Dead. With um, the incantations, it's a bunch of kids that shouldn't be doing this stuff, but they did it anyways. Uh, and the parents, go ahead. The parents hmm? was very. That was when the parents showed up. Uh, that was a very Evil Dead scene with the white milk blood kind of coming out of the head and stuff. Yeah, I'd say so. <laughs> <laughs> you know how that came about in Evil Dead? Hmm. Uh, I, 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 you know, we're like two-thirds of the way through shooting, and we're get, getting into all the gore stuff, because we're kind of shooting in uh, uh, roughly chronological order. And um, uh, I, I started thinking, wait, we're, we're doing a lot of blood, you know, and there's ratings and all this stuff. And I got it in my head that if you use different colored things, uh, you know, like if, on TV, 
a TV show could like shoot one or two people, you know, back in the seventies, you could mm-hmm. shoot one or two people per TV per episode. You know, like mm-hmm. there was a limit. But robots, unlimited. So at one point, uh, the um, the Cylons in Battlestar Galactica were going to be like humanoids, you know, mm-hmm. reptile humanoids or something. And they said, okay, but we can only you can only shoot one uh, a week. They said, well, what if they're robots? Oh, no problem with robots. Of course, there's still people in suits, but yeah. you just become robots, and it's not like a human or a living humanoid. And uh, uh, <laughs> that's funny. <laughs> and uh, so you you kind of you know twist things like that. <laughs> that's a pretty funny. Um, uh... So after the parents show up, it's not really them demons, and then uh. Um, there's also that scene, that really cool scene where, uh, the sister tries to use the phone and it melts on the wall. That was really cool. And then Cherry goes to the basement to get the dark book and it ignites itself. They figure out, you, you know, it's like they've already tried everything else and it hasn't worked. So why not just read the Bible and see if that does anything? Yeah. And after they um, throw out a Bible verse, one of the Psalms, I'm not too sure. I, I haven't really read the book. Um, that's when they notice that the hole starts closing. Um, he slips and falls in the hole, pulls him back out again, and that's when he reads from Genesis and throws the Bible into the hole. Yeah. And then there's an explosion, and it seals the, the 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 hole from hell. Which I actually found kind of funny. Is that actually made me think of like Doom Three for a little bit, using the Soul Cube at the end of the game. But mm-hmm. it's like it. I like how the hole kind of explodes, like NES style, when you throw the Bible in there. That actually for some reason it made me think of Castlevania as well. It's like, you just like select Bible Chuck if you have enough hearts. Uh, okay, so this is where we get a little bit of Poltergeist, though. Uh, after that, uh, later that night, a wall ends up crashing down and a construction worker corpse falls through it. <laughs> and it sort of implied that uh, the that there was a dead construction worker built into the house, which is somewhat similar to Poltergeist and that the uh, house is built over a graveyard. Yeah, because Terry told him, like, earlier something that happened before they moved in. Worker pulls Terry into the wall, and it seals behind him. So we get sort of a zombie construction worker kind of thing. They, that's another interesting little uh, old kind of trope of, of these things, uh, of what we hear, what we grow up with in neighborhoods, is the legend of the... The, the ghost of somebody who probably actually did die in a way people remember or talk about, but now they're a ghost, you know? Like, so if some construction worker died, well, of course he, his ghost is still here, right? And so that becomes part of the local lore and something you'd bring up at a at a party. You know, I, I just like all that stuff. It, right. so it, 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 it rings true. They also had a thing where they're playing records backwards. Yeah. You know, because in the eighties, that that backward masking and all that, and uh, uh, you know it, the way they fill it up very carefully with all this stuff uh, that is available to all of us growing up. You know, I I remember picking up the Satanic Verses by Anton Sandor Levey, and uh, I read it. And I thought this is just Catholicism with nudity. <laughs> well, you are the creator of the Necronomicon. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. I, 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 I've read portions of the Bible, uh, not the whole thing, just, just the dirty part. <laughs> <laughs> they eventually kind of fight the uh, construction worker, 
Al throws a ghetto blaster at him, and for some reason he disintegrates into a bunch of little demon. That's an amazing shot. Yeah, that was that an awesome. That is a mind blowing shot. I, I think it's a was... position with uh, with some rotoscoping because the the little minions seem to appear out of portions of him for just a frame or two as he lands and then disappears and they they're they're out there rolling you know like they're tumbling and uh yeah those little minions are great they should have i wish you could have worked that into a tv show <laughs> minions <laughs> before the um <laughs> cart one for children <laughs> yeah but uh, so, I love the stop motion, like when that little minion arm falls off the door and then turns into little spermies. And <laughs> I was going to say maggots, but hey, whatever. <laughs> I get what you're saying. So after that, uh, we basically the movie ends up culminating where uh, Terry and Al get captured by the demons, and they're going to be used as human sacrifices to fully open the gate. So Glenn, and this is one of those 80s things that I absolutely love. The, the 80s really was a much more innocent time. He ends up getting a rocket. Now, I actually had one of these electric rockets when I was a kid. And basically, the rocket is meant to be a symbol of love and purity, evidently, at least according to something that I read talking about the movie. And it w might stop the rise of the old gods. Yes, a $5 Estes rocket, huh? So anyway... As he makes his way upstairs, the floor collapses, and there's a giant chasm, because of course there is. Uh, he attempts to launch the rocket, which he's trying to light it with, like, like matches. Like, seriously. I guess in the 80s they didn't have, like, electronic ignition. But anyway. Ultimately, you did get a giant demon. And this is where it gets a little weird. Uh, once again, 80s. And this is one of the things, I don't, I don't want to keep getting off topic here, but this is one of the reasons why a lot of these movies that ape 80s movies just don't work is like, the scene that comes, that I think is one of the more interesting ones, is like, this giant demon shows up, pats Glenn on the head and then leaves. And then just leaves. I mean, really? That's just, that's what they do? I mean, you wouldn't really see that today because that's just too weird for most modern audiences. It's not that it's too weird. It's just that, um, like to me, when it, when the when when he patted the head and the eye appeared in the hand, it was like, what? But it, but in a good way, you know. It, it's just the the problem with today's stuff and the reason why whenever they try to milk the '80s is because the big difference is is that they take things way too serious nowadays, as opposed to back in the '80s, people were having fun. And it wasn't about making money and like even people that are oh I'm so retro they take so many they, they take it so seriously when it, it's like the best example like look at Game of Thrones there's a petition right now to change the last season they want them to go back and rewrite and reshoot the 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 season and it's like you can't do that and just lighten up it's a TV show you know. And so it's just that's why they can't do it is because they just take it so damn serious nowadays. They just they it's just people just don't have fun anymore. The tropes of the 1980s films where the kids are like the smartest people in the room, yeah, in the room, and they've got it all figured out because they they've seen how things work and all this. And this is kind of like 
you know, you just think you know. You know, at the very end, uh, Glenn figures it out uh, and is able to at least nullify it or, I guess, end it for now. Mm -hmm. And um, But, you know, it's it's one of those, uh, you just, you don't know. And there's this theme of, that we all face going through life is you raised as a kid where, you know, magic is real and, you know, there's suits, you know, there's Santa Claus and Christmas and, and, uh, uh, you've never heard of the Holocaust or genocide or torture, slavery, you know, just inhumane mass murders, whatever it is, the horrible mm -hmm. things they hide from us as we're kids. And this is about, you're you're popping your head into that world that you have no idea what is out there, and mm -hmm. I think that kind of comes through in this film because you know they're uh, Terry is dealing with the death of, of his mother, and uh, uh, they're all dealing with growing up, and you know uh, where they're playing with all this stuff at the at the game at, at during the party, and uh, which is like one of those war, you know if you're playing. What is it? Uh, uh, a Ouija board or something? That's supposed to be where you're opening up to everybody's mind to the possibility, and then these things can enter into it. And yeah. there's a lot of that into this. That you know, you garbage in, garbage out kind of programming, and mm -hmm. uh, and then there's a consequence to it. That uh, do you really want to grow up that fast? <laughs> you know, because you know, <laughs> piss off mom and dad. Yeah, you know, you, you can't wait till you hit 21, and then by the time you've hit 21, you've already hit 30, and then oh, I wish I was in high school, <laughs> you know. But um, no, it's an excellent point. That, that that's that's the thing that I loved about the 80s movies, though. It wasn't that the kids were smarter than the adults? It's just a message that you know, don't stop wondering, don't stop believing, and don't stop wanting, you know, to explore stuff because it, it's just. That, that that's how most adults were portrayed in those movies is it's just like they're there you know meanwhile the kids are sorting things out and they're the ones that are getting through it all yeah and, the parents all, all usually have their own problems dealing with divorce or you know things at work or whatever but there's other stressors and that usually isolates the kid and then he gets wrapped up in their adventure and then usually unifies with the parents who finally are exposed to what the kid's going through and see mm -hmm. that et is real you know, and has to get to the spaceship. That's honestly one of my favorite things about the Monster Squad is that the parents weren't so one-dimensional. The adults weren't stupid so much. You know, you had scary German guy. I, I, I you know, and he he was there and he believed from the beginning. Whereas, like, you sure know a lot about monsters. Now that you mention it, I do believe that I know quite a bit. You know, and you had the the, the parents who did have their problems where they were going to marriage counseling. And you see the, the, the son in the other room, Sean, and he's listening to him argue. And she's like, yeah, you only care about your job. He's like, you want to talk about my night? First, I get called out to a museum, and there's a 3,000-year-old mummy missing. And then I get down to the station, and there's a guy screaming that there's a, that, that there's a werewolf. And what happens next? They blow him away right there in the police station. And... You know, instead of isolating them and you have that aha moment at the end, they were always there and they always kind of listened. But, yeah, they did have their own problems. It, it, it was just a good dynamic. And you don't see that anymore in movies. Yeah. But did you just have any effect, any inspiration on uh, Stranger Things? I think so. <laughs> I mean, it, Stranger Things I is a show. almost the direct ancestry of that. Mm-hmm. 
Are there any uh, gate references in Stranger Things? Has anybody seen that? I've seen the Evil Dead poster. <laughs> yeah, I haven't. I haven't seen. I, I think the gate feels. I don't know. This movie kind of feels like it's a little underappreciated. So I haven't. But yeah, I haven't noticed any reference on Stranger Things yet. Well, Stranger Things is a show that everybody tells me to check out, and I try to catch it whenever I can. I did notice the Evil Dead poster. I did notice the Ghostbusters reference, which is huge to them. Um, but it's like I said earlier, as far as the gate goes, I'm actually kind of pissed that I never heard of this movie growing up, because I would have loved it. And uh, I, I have to put in a plug for, for Gate, too, because it's mm-hmm. not like a redo of the first one. Uh, it takes up uh, two and a half years later, Glenn and his family are gone. Uh, the house is a wreck, although, and it's never been rebuilt, although it's, the exterior survives fine in, in this version. And uh, 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 Terry's dad is an alcoholic, former pilot, and uh, Terry is using the, the book to try to uh, make deals with demons to get his dad's life straightened out, and that has a backfire effect because everything that you do turns to shit when you deal yeah. with these demons. And uh, two of the characters uh, get a hold of this, two of the, uh, like, thug bullies, um, get a hold of it and wind up going to a fancy restaurant and act like jerks, and they have lots of cash, and when he plops the cash down on the on the bill, it splats because it's it's shit. <laughs> and he puts the rest of the stash into his pocket. And when he reaches in there, there's just a handful of fecal matter. And, uh, you know, a, a big car or a, a red Corvette turns into shit with tires. Mm-hmm. That kind of thing. <laughs> and, uh, and then, you know, but, uh, and also, but it, it kind of goes along a different course. And uh, you're traveling to other dimensions and uh, have to deal with a battle with uh, the minions and all that. But in the, in the sequel, there's only really one minion, a little guy. But he's real troublesome. You can't get rid of him because he heals and comes back. But uh, and you don't want to be bit by him. But it, it's a fun film. Uh, same director and uh, uh, and all that. And uh, I hope Alex Winter does get to to make this uh, a remake of it because he could use a an update boot and add some, make it even darker and uh, uh, more topical for today. But. Uh, mm-hmm. I think the gate is one of those little gems out there. Uh, you know, boy, the 80s was this cool time when, you know, there's a lot of schlock coming out, but then there were these little, these gems like, you know, Terminator and Hidden and uh, a couple of others, but, uh, uh, wow, well, I'll throw the Evil Dead in there, too. Yeah, Evil Dead, too. You show it up, and, the, and the things really delivered, and you're getting some new, fresh ideas uh, and uh, and all that stuff, you know? And um, I miss those days. Well, they're, they're still happening. I'm still finding little gems here and there. So, actually, I guess before we go back to the finishing the plot, um, uh, since uh, you mentioned The Gate 2, Lewis Tripp uh, played uh, Terry. Yeah, he was the only returning actor uh, in Gate 2 because, uh, yeah, they couldn't get uh, Stephen Dorff to come back, I guess. So, I guess... He was getting take for, for, for Blade. <laughs> <laughs> so I tried uh, looking up information on Lewis Tripp, and it was very hard to figure out what the heck was going on. I mean, they, uh, so I guess shortly after the Gate Two, he legally changed his name to Twelve Twenty for a while. Twelve Twenty? Yeah, Twelve Twenty. 
And oh. These days he goes oh. under the name of ba- uh, um, Baphomet Trip or Bath Trip. I guess the gate must have had an impact on him because, from what I understand, he appears to be a full-fledged Satanist and mainly does wow. uh, industrial music and lives in Australia. <laughs> okay. Listen, you know, I, 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 I don't know how to call him, but like on Bosom Buddies with Tom Hanks and um, Peter uh, Scolari, I would have put my money on I put my money on Scolari. You know, Madonna and Cindy Lauper. I was a I was on Team Lauper, and right. uh, this trip. I like them both, but I would have put my my money on Louis Trip to be the big star. And uh, uh, although Stephen Dorff's stuff is terrific, and uh, but I I like Louis. And, and, and the number two, he, he's it's even a more mature, troubled character. You know, that gets more into it. But yeah, decent enough actor, and uh, it has an appeal and. Um, uh, works well with these kind of things, you know. Right. But I wish him well. I wish him the best. <laughs> I, I just thought it was interesting. I couldn't find information on him. I'm like, okay, <laughs> well, you know, hey, whatever, Joe. <laughs> so back to the plot of the gate. So I think the demon was just screwing with them too. The whole eye on the hand thing, which was an awesome, creepy scene. Well, it's just that, but it's like, seriously, we can't have stuff like this anymore. It's just, that's one of the things, when you look at older films, you definitely see a lot more creativity because they had so much more freedom to do what they wanted to do back then. And I, Another think, good... I think the demon would have uh, enjoyed much more having the kid witness Earth being taken over by hell than just throwing him in hell at the time, in a way, you know? Well, he patted him on the head because it was kind of like, yeah, I salute you, little kid. That, that, that's the impression that I got out of right. it, was, I'm here, I'm scaring the shit out of you, and there you go, little pat on the head. Because what is a pat on the head, really? Because, I mean, nowadays you get arrested if you pat someone that you don't know on the head. And here's an eye on your hand. You know, but it, it's like, uh, if you pat someone on the head, it's kind of like an insult, you know? Now, what were you going to say? Well, Tom? There is that. I, I, the way I see it is, uh, it's that, it's going back to the idea of... of Children who are too young being exposed to and trying to understand and manipulate the adult world. And mm-hmm. this monster comes up and then sees this little kid and goes, okay, you just go back to the crib. You know what I mean? Just grow up first yeah. kind of thing. That, and, that, that's uh, how I took it. it. It was almost like in Fright Night when um, uh, they did the dancing scene and Charlie Brewster runs up to um, uh, Chris Sarandon and Amanda Bierce. And he's like, let her go. And that's when, you know, Chris Sarandon just looks at him. He's like, you're nothing. And then he goes and kisses his girlfriend right in front of him. Tries to throw a punch at him and he catches it without even looking. It's just, it's it's so, yeah, you're nothing. You, 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 you... Yeah, I mean, also a demon, sure you can scare kids, you know, you just make noises. But mm-hmm. a, a demon would really want a, a, a sentient adult, rational adult, if you're going to, Really screw with them, mm-hmm. and in uh, and in the gate too, uh, there's a slightly older uh, uh, Terry Louis Tripp, and the, uh, he actually becomes possessed and is going to kill his girlfriend as a sacrifice. Of course, he's a demon, but you know it's it's like you see it, that kind of shows you what this. It's the same creature at the end that does that. Uh, the the big you know stop motion thing, and mm-hmm. it's uh, got legs, but. It, you know, it's 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 kind of now that now that you're an adult, 
and you're doing this stuff, you're mine, bitch. You yeah. know, and and yeah. uh, uh, of course it's it's only the little uh, the the musical box that happens to be turned on by one of the minions that brings Louie back so he can become himself again and save the day. Yeah. But uh, but that that kind of thing. It's how you know you're an adult. You're fair game. You're a kid. You're not worth my time. It's it's cute, you know. Yeah, demons, yeah. demons want adults who have a lifetime of sinning. <laughs> <laughs> oh dear. They get into a, a demon with a, you know a sense of, a sense of propriety. You know. So you know, Glenn uses the rocket with the power of his sister's love. They explain it earlier in the movie, and you know, gets for the demon and. You know, turns out everyone's okay, but the house is uh, messed up. <laughs> and then the movie just, you know, kind of ends. Uh, at least it has a happy ending, you know. Well, they, sur- they survive. <laughs> yeah. There's no, like, giant hand that comes at the end and, like, an evil laugh or anything. You kind of could have had a really good ending where it's just dad came home, saw the mess, and just what the hell happened here? <laughs> and the demon eats him alive or something. <laughs> <laughs> And I'm sure the house is insured. Yeah. <laughs> Which I I hate it when things try to shoehorn a sequel into it. It's like it. I've not seen the Gate Two, but this feels like it. It's very much just a, a kind of one and done sort of thing. Uh, though I had to find Gate Two DVD uh, from uh, Europe, and it's only four by three. <laughs> it's still worth watching, but a uh, Shout Factory they released uh, Gate Two on Blu-ray. Oh, oh, really? Well. I'll... Yeah. Definitely pick that up. Hope there's some bonus. Uh, of course, you know, the the thing with the insurance is there's probably a clause in there where you know they're not covered by demons. <laughs> so uh, yeah, that was the game. Uh, I, yeah, check it out. It's uh, definitely a little underrated little horror flick that uh, it's you know fun, creepy, all that stuff. <laughs> and uh, with terrific production values, there's some really clever uh, effects stuff in here. That's really surprising kind of things you haven't seen before. The minions make really cool little adversaries. Uh, the demon at the end is interesting, and uh, it, but it's got some nice stop motion. And they did a, uh, a technique we used on Evil Dead uh, during the finale, where we would double expose frames, uh, uh, you know, photograph uh, our puppet, and then uh, move it, rewind the film backward one frame, and then double expose it so that there would be like two exposures of a slight movement, which would give it a slight blur. Mm-hmm. And uh, so you'd use that for like the rapid movements and things. Right. And it, it just softens stuff a little bit. And all, it gives it, you know, like stop motion gives you that slight strobing effect. This gives you another slight different effect. But when you're dealing with supernatural creatures, you kind of want them to feel otherworldly. And uh, stop motion works really well for that. Agreed, uh, I, I don't know, there's a little bit of stop motion news. Uh, Ray Harryhausen's last film was uh, Clash of the Titans, and uh, he had plans for uh, a, a kind of a sequel of sorts called Force of the Trojans. And uh, uh, he had done had a script and I guess some a bunch of uh, production designs and you know very detailed uh, um, beautiful drawings that you can see. And uh, that's going to be made into a film, and they're going to use stop motion animation and his puppet designs. That's going to be awesome. Whoa, so, really? Cool. What a great way to honor Ray, and uh, can't wait. <laughs> the last thing I want to say about The Gate um, is the writer and director really did a good job on thinking of things that are generally creepy. To me, it just seems like they 
I assume based off of their nightmares. I don't know. Something like I said, there's something about the stretchy arms on the bed that's creepy, or the fact that demonic Terry with the teeth pops up in the closet out of nowhere, you know. And then it's kind of funny how they had to use a Barbie doll leg to stab him in the eye, but hey, whatever worked. Yeah. But there's there's certain creepy moments they sneak in the movie. I don't know, they just work really well where they placed them. Lots. <laughs> Any closing thoughts? Well, my closing thought is this. I do wonder how much of this movie uh, inspired, as we said earlier, Stranger Things, because you kind of get that vibe from this. Uh, I also wonder how much the uh, people behind this movie actually knew of Warhammer 40K. Because <laughs> I just kind of get a 40K vibe from the demons and, you know, summoning a portal to the warp. It just, this movie was much better than it first appeared. Uh, this is really a quintessential example of what the 80s really were about. And sadly, I just don't foresee us getting anything quite like this ever again. Wolfman? Would I recommend this movie? Duh. Oh, yeah. yeah. Mm. The thing that I, it's, it's pretty much... Like I said earlier, this is this is a combination of some of the best movies from the '80s. I mean, like I said, it's Poltergeist, Evil Dead, meets um, you know, little Gremlins. Come to think of it, and some weird science in there. It's competently sure. shot, and how could you go wrong with a movie like this? I, I just wish I had known about it. Yeah. The second that you that you recommended it to me, you know, I'm just like, oh boy, this should be fun. I I, I watched it, and I'm like, this is amazing. And I don't think that there's, um, I, I think it's just not been discovered as much as it should have. And with uh, Stephen Dorff's uh, career the way it is, which is pretty good, uh, I, I, I'm I'm surprised uh, more people aren't talking about it. Uh, yeah. he, he's a good kid actor. He, he's a very good actor. I've only seen him do, um, I, I do remember Blade. And then I never really saw him again. And I'm like, that guy's a pretty damn good actor. And then um, the next time I saw him, you know, he, he was shilling um, uh, vape products. You know, he's like, I'm a smoker. And if you don't want to be discriminated against, heh, light up. And all this other stuff. And I'm like, okay. <laughs> he's keeping busy. Check out his IMDb page. He's working all the time. Good. Um, he's doing uh, True Detective these days. Oh, great. Excellent. That's good he's keeping busy. I, I haven't had the chance to go and keep up on on stuff in so long. This is probably the only chance that I get to really go out and see new things these days. Yeah, so th th this is a movie that definitely um, flew under my radar, and I'm, I'm, I'm ashamed to say it did. This was really well done. Better late than never. <laughs> Thank <laughs> you.
Thank you.